have traveled many moonless nights, cold and weary, with a babe inside, and I wonder what I've done. Holy Father, you have come and chosen me now to carry your
your friends in Jesus Christ, Merry Christmas. Great to see you on this Christmas Day 2022. Outside, it's pretty cold, a little warmer than yesterday, but pretty cold. However, though, our hearts are still filled with great joy because of the Christ, because of his birth, because of his saving work, and because of the eternal gifts that we are in possession of because of our God-given faith in him. Wow, we are some of the most blessed people in the entire world. In the sermon today, it is based on a brief section in Titus chapter 3. And here in this section, let us first of all be sad about our sin. We all have it. But let us then be glad about God's great work to save us. Thinking about our past, so if we make a comparison between ourselves and the guy next door, we could say, oh, hey, we got up and went to church today. We did this, this, and this. We are pretty decent people. We can easily come to that conclusion. However, though, if we are really honest and we open the Bible, we compare what God's word says with our lives, oh, then we realize we are in grave trouble in the most serious way. God wants us to realize that. Going to our text now, we're in Titus chapter 3, going to verse 3, and we have some bad news here. The Bible now is talking no past tense, so that's good, but it says, for we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Sounds pretty miserable, but isn't that the world that we live in? Isn't so much of the world like that today? God calls us to be different, and that should show in all kinds of ways. Let's just take a quick look here at these words. I think they're such powerful words. I mean, it is bad news, but let's, let's get it right out there where we, where we understand it. So first of all, it talks about us being foolish. What does that mean? That means to not think things through, kind of like living day by day in opposition to God, but yet at the same time expecting an open door into heaven. That would be foolishness. Or what about being disobedient? What does that mean? That means to know what is right, but to do what is wrong. Not a good thing at all, to know what is right, but yet to do what is wrong. See, we have a responsibility. When we know the right, God is calling us to do the right, and yet when we say, no, forget about that, I'm going to do what I want to do, not a good thing. What about being deceived? That means to be led astray. So God wants us to be on the path that is in Christ and leading to heaven. And we understand there are all kinds of forces of evil that are trying to get us off that path. So it's a tough world in which we live, but God wants to be with us so, and God wants to help us. He wants to keep us on that path. So important. Also, too, it talked about being enslaved 
to various lusts and pleasures, what that means is to be controlled by what is sinful. So even as Christians, we have the new nature, praise God, but the problem is we still have the old nature and the old nature keeps trying to control us. So we have to feed the new nature, the word of God and the things of God and fellowship with the people of God and all those kinds of things that will build up the new and weaken the old so the new can dominate in our lives. So important. What is this idea of spending our lives in malice and envy? Well, another way to put it would be spending our lives in wickedness and jealousy. So much of the world is like that. And then this idea about being hateful and hating, that means to have a strong, sinful dislike for some persons or some things. Boy, God just does not want us to be that way. Sure, are there some bad people and some bad things? There are, but he doesn't want us to have a sinful hatred for them. He wants us to forgive. He wants us to reflect the light of Christ. He wants us to be different. However, though, what I'm trying to make here with this section, the point I'm trying to make is that all of us were in grave trouble, but then we come to some good news, though. Just before I get into the text, I want to share something here. So Dr. Giesler has mentioned this at Bethlehem, and I mentioned it years ago, too. But as we come to the time of Christmas, like I mentioned earlier, let's understand that the time of Christmas really is focusing on God the Father. God so loved the world that he gave. So that's what we're thinking about with Christmas time. And then really when we think about Good Friday, of course the focus is on Jesus on the cross. And then even with Easter, it's a little bit on God the Father there because he's the one who raises his son. But then we see the resurrected Christ. So the focus is on him. And then 50 days later, we come to the day of Pentecost and the focus is on the Holy Spirit. I say that what I just mentioned now, especially about God the Father, because that's what we're coming to in this text. So certainly Jesus is in there and the Holy Spirit is in there, but the emphasis here is on God the Father. So Titus chapter three, verse four, it says, but when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us. Let's think about that a little bit. So God, our Savior, that is referring to God, our Father. If you look at the whole um, context here together, it's so obvious. God, our Savior here is God, our Father. And there are places in the Old Testament, too, where it talks about God, our Savior, in reference to God, the Father. So again, we can think here of John 3.16. And then Looking at what it says here, his love for mankind appeared. So the love of God the Father, you know, again, John 3.16, for God so loved, when his love appeared, that was Jesus. That was his son who appeared. So he's the one who loved us, and then his love appeared in the person of his son. And then what happened? Well, everyone's looking at the Son of God, but what is going on, though? God the Father 
is working through his son in order to carry out the plan to take away the sin of the world. So even though God the Father was working behind the scenes, certainly God was working in conjunction with Jesus. Remember what Jesus said there, how even with every miracle that he did, God the Father was working through him to perform the miracles. And then going on further in the text, we might say, why is it that God sent his son? The Bible tells us about his saving work, and he says he did it not on the basis of deeds, which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy. It's so common, isn't it, that we think that somehow, because of what we have done or what we might do in the future, somehow that will count for something as far as entering into heaven. It makes so much sense, but it just isn't true according to the Bible. It just isn't true. Sometimes in life, we have to reject common sense. Now, that's kind of a hard thing to do. I'm a pretty common sense person, and many of you probably are as well. But sometimes, though, we have to reject common sense. When is that? Whenever the Word of God and our common sense disagree, it is so very important to say, you know, that makes perfect sense to me, but I'm going to let it go, and I'm going to cling to the Word of God. So very important. Think about Proverbs 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. That's exactly what that's saying. Trusting in the Lord is believing his word. Our own understanding is our common sense. Don't hang on to that. Let that go. Cling to the word of God. That's always going to be best. And then what is God's mercy? It's such an amazing thing. Here we are, we committed the sins, we deserve the punishment, and what does God do? His mercy holds back the punishment that we deserve, and then on Good Friday, he released all of it upon his son. Isn't that just so amazing? Like here we are, such rotten sinners, so deserving, and yet God loves us so much that he held it back and then let it go on his son. So we might say, how did God do this saving work now? Now we're getting here to the topic of baptism. The Bible says he did it by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. So remember who's at work here, like we started off at the beginning or how we started off in verse 5, he saved us. Who are we talking about? We're talking about God the Father here. So let's think about these words a little bit. So the idea of washing. So this is a different Greek word other than baptizo, but it is a word, though, that does specifically talk about washing. And the topic here is a baptismal washing. So who is the one doing the washing? Is it the person who is actually being baptized? Is he doing the washing? No, can't be him. What about the person maybe who is applying the water and saying the words? Is he the one who's actually doing the washing? No, nope, he's not the one either. 
when you look at this text here, it's obvious it is God the Father who is doing it. So he gave us this washing of regeneration, and that was God the Father who was at work. What is regeneration? A lot of times people talk today about this idea of being born again. Regeneration means to renew. Regeneration means rebirth, birth again, like being born again. Think about what Jesus said to Nicodemus there in John chapter 3. He said, unless one is born of water in the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So what is baptism then? Baptism is God the Father, and he's working in conjunction with the Holy Spirit and through the water and the word of holy baptism in order to clothe the person being baptized in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So when we think about people saying baptism has no power, I mean, think about it. God the Father is the one who is working here, and he is working again in conjunction with the Spirit, the water, and the Word to clothe in Jesus. That's a powerful thing. Wow, that is how we are saved. We can't save ourselves, but he has done it, though. Not only has he clothed us in Christ, but he has given us the gift of faith to trust in Jesus. He has given us the gift of eternal life. He has given the Holy Spirit to dwell within us. All kinds of amazing things. And then here, going on to the next verse, now we're up to the day of Pentecost already. So then it says, whom he, again, we're talking God the Father, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So think about the day of Pentecost. The Bible is clear that the Spirit was with God the Father, and then God the Father, he gives the Holy Spirit to his Son, Jesus, and then on the day of Pentecost, it is Jesus, the Son of God, who pours out the Holy Spirit and enables all kinds of fantastic things to happen on the day of Pentecost. And now we, as believers in the Christ, we have that same Holy Spirit living in us to help us understand the Bible, to give us the power to live it out, and many other wonderful, important things. And then finally, the last verse here, so the question would be, why all such things? What's going on here? So that, being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Let's think about the key words there. What does it mean to be justified? Well, I always like that one statement where we take the word justified and we stretch the word out. What does it mean that I am justified? It means God sees me just as if I'd never sinned. God sees me just as if I'd never sinned. That's too good to be true, isn't it? Can it be that good? It is, though. See, we have to be that good to get into heaven. There's no other way. We can only be justified by the Christ of Christmas, and God has to see us as holy ones, and amazingly, he does. When I look in the mirror, I'm not thinking holy one at all, but when I read the Bible, though, the Bible says that I am a holy one. This is awesome. 
I want you to know the same thing. Whenever the Bible says saint, that is talking about a holy one. That's another way we could translate those same Greek words. We are holy ones in the sight of God. We are justified, not because of our goodness, but because of God's grace, which is God's undeserved love. And then it tells us here that God has made us heirs. What does that mean? That means we have membership in the family of God. We have membership in the kingdom of God. This is awesome. And then finally, it talks about hope. So hope is not like wishful thinking. Hope in the Bible is certainty. So we are talking about a certainty that God wants us to have, knowing that in Christ, we have relationship with God. In Christ, we have forgiveness of our sins. And in Christ, one day, we are going to dwell with God forever and ever. Maybe not a lot of a Christmas message on thinking about the baby born in Bethlehem, but actually some super important things for you and me to rejoice about on this Christmas day. Let us pray. Dear Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we are overwhelmed by your love, your mercy, and your relentless work to wash us clean and bring us into your holy family. We pray that you would grant us great joy on this day of Christmas and help us to tell others of your love, of Jesus' victory over sin, death, and the devil, and also help us to tell about the fact that everyone Literally, everyone is welcome to receive your eternal gifts of forgiveness, peace, and eternal life. Dear Father, when people hear that you love them and that you so much want them to receive these great gifts, open their heart, enable them to receive, and transform every life. We pray all these things. In Jesus' name, amen.
The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.